0: Welcome to this Law in Sport podcast with me, Sean Cottrell, the founder and CEO of Law in Sport. I'm joined today by three guests, Dan Wallace, who is a leading sports lawyer and sports gambling, sports integrity specialist from the US, Lee Thompson, who is A policy manager at the Sport and Recreation Alliance, who are a body, the representative body for over 200 sports and leisure organisations in the UK. Uh, And he does a lot of work in gambling, sports betting, sports integrity, both uh, domestically and across Europe. And Kevin Carpenter, who's a world leading expert on issues such as match fixing, sports integrity, anti-corruption and is a sports lawyer. So first of all, thank you guys uh, for joining me today. Um, I really appreciate you taking the time out of your incredibly hectic schedules to, to fit this in. The reason why I wanted to get you together is you've, both, all of you, uh, along with Professor Jack Anderson, um, who's now going to be at Melbourne University, he's just in transit, I think, at the moment, have put together a, a fantastic article titled The Integrity Framework That Can Save the Game Act and Serve as a Model for US Sports Betting Legislation. Dan, you were the catalyst for this article. I wonder if you could start off with providing a bit of background for those people who aren't familiar with both what's happening in terms of legal the legalization of sports betting in the U.S. and in particular this um,
1: game act. Yeah, th- thanks Sean for uh, having me on and for giving all of us the opportunity to publish this uh, I think thought-provoking article. The movement to legalize sports betting in the United States is moving at lightning, uh, happening at lightning speed. You know, we have the U.S. Supreme Court, which could weigh in on the debate later this month, Uh, we have state legislatures poking around and introducing bills to legalize sports betting. And of course, uh two weeks ago uh Congressman Frank Polone, US Congressman Frank Pallone released a discussion draft of a proposed piece of federal legislation to oversee and regulate uh sports betting. The problem with it in all of these approaches as I see is uh the focus is on the you know sort of the timing of when everything should be occurring and we're in the prehistoric stages of the much more important forward thinking discussion of how to protect the integrity of sport uh... because despite all of these uh... positive developments Uh, In the end, I don't think anything of import happens legislatively unless the professional sports leagues like the NBA, NFL, et al., are on board. And the current proposed frameworks that have been percolating, uh, at least publicly, don't contain the type of um, integrity or sport integrity safeguards that I think the leagues uh, would want to have as a bare minimum before they sign on to anything. And I think it's important that we bring the discussion forward beyond PASPA and and try to envision a framework that might that, that would make sense to all of the stakeholders, uh, with an emphasis uh, on on protecting the integrity of sport and how to go about doing it. Looking, of course, to the successful models that have already been rolled out in in Great Britain, Australia, and throughout all of Europe. And that's the whole thrust of this article: to basically take um, you know the mature betting markets, uh, existing frameworks and try to take the best of each of those frameworks and propose similar solutions.
0: Uh, Thanks for that, Dan. I should have um, said at the outset that the the, um, discussion draft, the Game Act, um, is the Gaming Accountability and Modernization Enhancement Act. So that's what we're referring to when you hear that. And PASPA, for those who aren't familiar, and I'm sure those in the U.S. will be very familiar with it, but for those who have a more international audience, that's the Professional and Amateur Sports Protection Act, which... Um, essentially set out um, and prohibited uh, sports gambling um, at a federal level across the U.S., uh, with notable exceptions of, a, of, an, of a, I think, four or five states. Is that right, Dan?
1: Yeah, yeah that, that's exactly right. It doesn't uh, constitute a blanket ban on sports betting. It's really designed to um, inhibit or prohibit uh, states from sanctioning that activity, and and, uh, at bottom it leaves in place a monopoly for a state like Nevada and to a more limited extent Delaware, and the um, issue of whether it is an overreach into state sovereignty is at the heart of the U.S. Supreme Court case, which will address the constitutional dimensions of the federal law and perhaps uh, eventually overturn it. Uh, And the Game Act, uh, while it's a significant first step, I think, as we point out, point out in the article that that uh, is being published today, lacks sufficient details on the integrity piece uh, to satisfy the, the US leagues. And
0: so, um, I think we'll start with uh, Lee. Um, you, in the past, have written for us and also discussed and been involved in many discussions and the lead and, and and led some in the UK. On our, our gambling and sports betting uh, regulations and the infrastructure in place about how we um, regulate the market effectively and deal with some of the integrity issues that are raised, having um, had a look over the piece and contributed to this this article, what are your sort of thoughts on on what the US could learn from the uh, the British model? And maybe you want to describe what that model is a little bit.
2: Yeah, maybe if I if I sort of start by just briefly kind of introducing the model. I mean, if we just sort of look very briefly at the kind of broad legislative framework, there are sort of the key act really is the Gambling Act 2005, which established the Gambling Commission as the sole regulator for gambling in Great Britain. I uh, mean, importantly, that act also created um, a number of uh, offences, one of which is an offence of cheating at gambling, Um, It also created uh, a facility for a formal kind of statutory facility for sharing information between the Gambling Commission and a number of other bodies, including law enforcement agencies, regulatory bodies, and crucially from a kind of integrity point of view, sports governing bodies. So that's a sort of key piece of legislation. More recently, a second piece of legislation, which is called the Gambling Licensing and Advertising Act of 2014, that act was essentially designed to put all operate betting operators on a sort of the same regulatory footing so the effect of that act was to ensure that all operators regardless of their physical location providing they were serving the british market should be licensed by the gambling commission so we we now almost have a kind of what's called a point of consumption regulatory regime for gambling in the uk so those are the sort of two key pieces of legislation underneath that legislation is something called the license conditions and codes of practice which is essentially the standards that the Gambling Commission applies to betting operators to ensure that they meet certain standards of, sort of probity and integrity. Um, and a key condition within those license conditions is something called license condition 15.1, which explicitly requires all betting operators licensed by the commission to share information on suspicious betting with both the commission itself, but also sports governing bodies. Um, so in that sense, the both the uh, Legislative framework and the licence conditions work together to create this kind of information
0: sharing arrangement. Um, I think looking at and sorry, sorry, and, and whilst Jack um, you know contributed on the um, Australian model, am I right uh, in saying that the Australian model is is quite a similar model in the sense that they've got you know uh, regulated betting and they also have these provisions in place, a like national policy on match fixing in sport and uh, this information That's right. sharing. Right, yeah. Yeah, I think there are
2: probably some variations, but broadly speaking, those the the, the kind of systems are very similar in that respect. Um, and, and just to kind of final, finally just say on, on the kind of existing ranges, within the Gambling Commission, there is something called the Sports Betting Intelligence Unit, which is a specific unit set up to facilitate the flow of information between betting operators and sport and other regulators. So altogether, that's the kind of UK system. I guess in terms of lessons for the US, I would say that... Really, you do need to pay a lot of attention to the way the legislation interacts with the licensing regime, whatever that looks like, because really the lesson from the UK or the Great Britain experience certainly is that unless you have very clear enforceable obligations in, those, in that licensing regime, it's very difficult to kind of uh, ensure that that information flow works Works well and operators are, are bought into it, so I think that's that would be my kind of you know main point in terms of taking lessons from the GV model. But I think there there are some other lessons to look at in terms of the way different stakeholders work together. So we have something called the Sports Betting Integrity Forum in the in the UK, which again we've talked about in another podcast. But that does act to bring all the key stakeholders together to kind of coordinate activity. So I think the kind of the GB model is actually quite interesting from the US perspective to look at where lessons can be learned.
0: So, so, so to break that down, then, as you said, just to, to, to sort of recap for those who are listening, who might have maybe got lost in it, you're saying that we, you know have an effective licensing system in place uh, uh, that's supported by obviously legislation um, that sets out a um, intelligence sharing and um, yeah, intelligence sharing uh, system in which it creates enforceable obligations on uh, all the parties to make sure that it's an effective system to, one, monitor what's happening in the betting market, but also then to protect the, the sport from the manipulation uh, from uh, either criminal activity or others who want to uh, make a game from manipulating a sporting contest.
2: That's right. And I think the the interesting sort of challenge, I guess, in the US will be how you ensure that kind of enforceable framework across, you know,
0: 50 or more different states who may have a very different view of what the obligation should be. So that's that's a really good point. And I think um, drawing on that, Kevin, can you just explain, obviously, we've got the, uh, so one, explain what the uh, Council of Europe is for those who, uh, again, the international audience who might not be familiar with the Council of Europe, and then talk about the Convention on the Manipulation of Sporting Contests.
3: Yeah, of course. So so the Council of Europe is is, a, is an entirely separate organisation to the European Union. Uh, it is a larger in membership and it is principally a human rights organisation and it's responsible for the European Convention on Human Rights. Um, as part of the, the, the work that the Council of Europe does, it does have a, a sports division um, who in the past have dealt with issues such as anti-doping and spectator violence. Uh, but most recently it's moved into the what they like to call the manipulation of sports competitions area, which, which we would more commonly call match-fixing. Um, the convention itself is very wide-ranging. It covers uh, a number of areas ranging from uh, the um, prevention cooperation measures to exchanging information and criminal sanctions, including many others. Uh, but probably in terms of looking at the article and, and talk, looking at what both Lee and, and, and Dan have said on on this podcast, I think it's the, the idea of the national platform, which is certainly, in my experience of working with the council, is, is the one area where we really feel we can make significant progress.
0: And sorry, what do you mean by, uh, think, by sorry, so just to clarify by that, what do you mean by national platform?
3: Yeah, so national platforms are a, are a way whereby sports betting and public authorities as three groups of actors come together to essentially exchange information and coordinate activities. Um, we don't believe, uh, or the, the convention doesn't envisage some type of water-type body. We don't think that's so that's realistic. the World Anti-Doping Agency, for the,
0: sorry, for those who aren't familiar. Yes, yeah.
3: yeah. yeah, sorry. Um, so and, and this is actually, so individual countries have their own different types of national platforms Uh, so the UK national platform is different to the Dutch and to the Belgian and equally not every member or signatory to the convention currently has a national platform but they're all building towards that method but but the next stage which has already begun in a in a sort of proactive way is to have what's called uh, the so-called group of Copenhagen which is where each national platform comes together to discuss matters of mutual interest so therefore, you are cooperating and exchanging information cross-border uh, through one uh, one network, essentially. And, and to be honest, in my experience of both um, researching, writing, and also investigating issues of competition manipulation, the exchange of information is w- without doubt the most important um, factor and the thing which uh, nobody really has got quite quite correct yet. And you'll sense from what I'm saying about the convention that it tries to steer away from issues of the regulation of betting markets because of some of the issues that both Dan and Lee have mentioned, that it's very difficult to get a consensus on how sports betting should be regulated.
0: Yeah, well, Dan, Dan's been at the forefront of that, obviously, in the US. And we, we um, to put this into sort of context as well, you know, Kevin and I, in particular, you know, have been over to the US with the Sports Lawyers Association. Both of us have either chaired or, or spoken on panels. Um, and, and as as Dan um, on on sports betting in the US over the last, yeah, you know, I think it's span. When Kevin, we were talking about this before the podcast. It was probably like six or seven years ago, wasn't it? Um, when you first yeah, I've, over, I've so, just checked, and you've got people yeah, like. Yeah, twenty twelve. I, I was there. Yeah, and there's people yeah. like. Um, it's high
1: time un- to have. You, it's high time to have you both brought back. I think we need your uh, expertise in the United States. We have. Would well, uh, totally I agree with you. Go for it, Dan. Yeah, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, I, I see the United States model uh, moving uh, in the wrong direction. Uh, The preference of the uh, casino lobby and the preference of the states obviously would be to have uh, state autonomy over the regulation and monitoring of sports and as Jack pointed out and, and Kevin uh, echoed, um, a, a more nationalized framework I think would be essential to protect the integrity of sport because the cooperation and sharing of information is at the crux of all this and uh, to, to have everything decentralized and handled by 50 individual regulatory bodies without a coordinated or integrated platform overseeing all of that uh, would create inefficiencies. and and inevitably uh, cause delays. There would be inconsistent standards. I mean, as we have seen in the daily fantasy sports legislative model, no two states roll out the same kinds of laws. You know, every state is like a snowflake, I suppose. And I'm concerned that the U.S. regulatory model uh, would fracture along state lines. Now, now don't get me wrong. I think states should be in the business of licensing operators and, and enforcing general regulatory requirements. And the states should have an active role in any future sports betting regime, but I think overseeing all of that, I guess an overlay on the top of that should be some kind of a national platform or a hub you know to collect, receive, analyze data uh, transmit it to the appropriate sports governing bodies and/ or law enforcement authorities share it among different regulatory bodies in the absence of that, it would become so disjointed uh, so what we've proposed in our article is you know let's let 's have the states play an active role but the but the ina- the creation of a national information hub a sport betting integrity unit would be essential to making this all
0: I, I think that's a very um and I, I and I said this at the outset when we when we started putting this article together and um you know uh, then we spoke about it and then approached obviously Lee, Kevin and Jack that the the, the, the the there's obviously huge opportunities for sports betting which which is why people like Adam Silver and others are, who get very excited about the the opportunity it's almost you know uh, there are some positives that come from the, from obviously from the money that's involved in, in sports betting and obviously people like to participate in it but as we've seen in the UK um, and in Australia and other places around the world for that matter um, I know Lee and, and Kevin you've both been involved in this that sometimes uh, you need these frameworks in place and not only to just deal with what's going on domestically but the influence of um, international markets whether that's regulated or unregulated markets and therefore there is a a you know, once you start to, whether or not you actually permit sports betting or not, um, there already exists a, th- a potential threat to the integrity of the sport because on the illegal markets there will be certainly be betting taking place, um, and therefore it, um, it, it, on that basis it would make perfect sense to actually have a centralised place to not only understand what's going on domestically but internationally.
3: I think one of the things I've um, I've been very keen to, to say to the, the countries that have been involved with the Key crime out of sport project, which is t- which is a joint project between the European Union and the Council of Europe, is that um, in essence, forget the fact whether or not you have a monopoly or a licensing or a prohibition regime of sports betting, it is happening in your country or people are betting outside of your borders. So focus on the integrity element, and that's why I was interested when when reading what Dan said about the lack of integrity. Uh, focus in in the game um, proposed legislation that it it doesn't really focus on that too much um, and that, that's that's i think important to realize that we're, we're talking about a global market you can't think purely along national lines it, it
0: just won't work from an information perspective Thanks, Kevin. And, and Lee, You, you uh, uh, no doubt you probably sort of echo those those sentiments.
2: Yeah, yeah, I would. I mean, I think, you know, in a sense, the, the recent developments you've seen in the UK market and the way it's been regulated sort of point to that, which is I think there was a recognition that prior to the point of consumption regime, there were obviously a number of operators that had moved their business out of the UK offshore and were still serving the UK market. I mean, and and let's be blunt, part of the reason that we've moved to a point of consumption regime is due to the fact that they weren't paying the same levels of taxes as domestic operators. But there is a, an important integrity angle, which is that, you know, we had a situation where we knew that we had domestic operators um, tied into the license conditions, but those overseas were operating to a slightly different regime. So I think there are kind of some lessons there about, as Kevin said, around once you start focusing on the integrity piece, you start to see the importance of Ensuring that wherever these operators are based, if they're serving, the, in this case, the US market, then maybe the regime needs to recognise that they ought to be bound in, in some way, shape, or form, into the
0: information sharing arrangements. Yeah, fantastic. And um, Dan, um, well, thank you for um, you know, spearheading this. Um, thank you, guys, also for for contributing. But yeah, what's your sort of final thoughts, and what would you hope to to to, to come one from this article and from from future involvement? in the um, navigation of, of regulating sports betting which seems uh, inevitable at some point in the u.s
1: yeah uh, thanks sean i think it's important to spearhead a conversation on sport integrity immediately uh... because this uh... this move is uh... kind of gathering momentum and depending on how court cases shake out uh... this could be teed up Uh, in our country as soon as early next year. Um, Like for example, what if the Supreme Court accepts review of the case and invalidates PASPA and states start to rush out legislation early next year to legalize something that they don't quite understand. And there's been um, a paucity of leadership and discussion on the issue of uh, safeguarding the integrity of sport in the United States. We've been obsessed with overturning PASPA and obsessed by the benefits of of legalized sports gambling and uh, the timing of when all this occur. But there's been a vacuum of thought leadership on the subject of creating a regulatory structure and beginning a conversation that that, uh, recommends um, essential safeguards in any future uh, regulatory structure. I think the Game Act is a good start, but it's it's lacking in the details uh, that would be integral to convincing the leagues to support such a federal measure. And until we engage in this kind of meaningful discussion and advance it uh, in, in a significant way, I'm not sure that uh, the the environment would be ripe uh, for legalization on the federal level, because without the leagues, without the acquiescence of the NBA and the NFL, I mean, this thing is a non-starter.
0: And, and, and just to, that, Dan, that's an excellent um, point to finish on. And, and just to, I guess, echo and, and and uh, support those views, which is as well, uh, from an integrity point of view, as you know, Kevin's been uh, championing for many, many years, um, that it's better that the leagues get a hand on this, particularly with their international expansions to the UK, rather than, as we've seen in, others, in sports such as cricket, and now in football, and um, a bunch of other sports, waiting for a... horrible situation to arise in which it negatively affects their sport and their brand and their sponsorship and and all the other commercial uh, and reputational issues that stem from that. So thank you so much for that. Um, There's a link at the bottom of the podcast to the article if you want to read that. Obviously, you can contact the authors directly should you have any questions. And uh, yeah, thank you guys for for contributing it. And it's a shame we couldn't get Jack on, but um, he's just in transit from from Ireland uh, to uh, start a new uh, career at Melbourne University. So all the best to Jack and uh, thanks for his contribution
1: also. Yeah, thank you, Sean. This was a lot of fun, and um, looking forward to continuing our dialogue on this uh, subject that will uh, inevitably, in this country, begin to uh, take on increasing prominence. Uh, this is just the beginning of it, and hopefully this will spark uh, a more thoughtful conversation on the subject in the United States.